welcome to Mad Influence, a podcast about how the marketing industry uses its influence on society. We all know that marketers can have a bad rep. Let's be honest, we're one of the least trusted professions in the world, ranking somewhere alongside politicians and journalists at the bottom of every poll from the last few years. But what about the people who use their positions of influence to spread positive messages, entertain the world or inspire social change? I'm Helen Saul, I work in brand marketing and I'm hosting this podcast so that I can speak to some of these people about our role in influencing culture and investigate how we can all use our power more for good. Today's guest is Laura Johnson, director at Zebedee, a specialist talent agency for disabled and visibly different actors and models in the UK and the US. Laura set up the agency with her sister-in-law Zoe in 2017 after 10 years of experience as a qualified social worker for vulnerable adults and children. Zebedee works with big brands like H&M, Marks and Spencer, Primark, River Island and Bowdoin and this summer they secured one of their clients an advertising partnership with Gucci which went on to become one of the brand's most liked Instagram posts ever nearing a million likes. Zebedee's rapid growth and success has led to it being featured across media like BBC News, The Guardian and Vogue. This doesn't lead to complacency though and Laura still acknowledges that diversity in media has a long way to go. In her own words, companies want their campaigns to be diverse, they want them to be inclusive to represent the population, but still disabilities don't show up on people's radars, which I think is more of a long-term systemic problem. But at the same time, I do believe that brands are finally starting to realise the value in including people with disabilities in their campaigns. Thank you very much for joining today, Laura. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join. Well, thank you for having me. I think what Zebedee does is really important and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. And I understand that you used to work in social work. And I just wondered a bit about what kind of led you from there to setting up Zebedee and how you've got to this stage that you're at now. Well, really, the idea came from nowhere. (laughs) It wasn't really something that I'd sat long and hard and thought, oh, you know, I really want to work in an agency. I really want to work in this industry. Essentially, I just was having a chat one day with my sister-in-law, Zoe. We're both co-founders. We were just having a discussion about the lack of representation in um, the industry, specifically relating to disability. I'm a social worker, as you mentioned, so I worked with vulnerable people and people with disabilities, mental health conditions, and Zoe's a performing arts teacher for people with disabilities. So specifically, we were talking about the lack of opportunities for the people that Zoe was working with. And it was really kind of like a bit of a moan, putting the world to rights. And and then the conversation moved to, well, there aren't even any agencies that represent people with disabilities. So how are they even going to be put in front of casting directors or brands? You know, they're not even being suggested. And it sounds cheesy, and I've said it so many times before, but it was literally a light bulb moment. It was just like, should, should we set up an agency? If nobody else is doing this, should we do it? And we did. <laughs> we'd literally made the decision. We were on a walk, and we'd, we'd made the decision by the end of the walk. We got home. We, we actually didn't know if there was anybody else doing what we wanted to do. We just Googled it, Googled how to set up a business, and we just kind of did it. <laughs> And we were both kind of fortunate at the time um, because I was on maternity leave. So I'd got not free time, but like time (laughs) to be concentrating on it. Um, I used to drag my little girl around to all the shoots with me. And so he was just working part time. So we both had the time to do it. We both had supportive partners and we just took the plunge to do it. And then I returned back to social work for a little bit for around about a year 
and Zebedee just was getting busier and busier and I just got to the point where I had to give one up and um, a friend of mine he said to me look you've done so much work for Zebedee to get it where it is and if, if you just don't continue that then somebody's just going to come and take it off you anyway <laughs> so I was like okay I think that's the right decision and it felt it definitely felt like the right decision and it is the right decision because we've just gone from strength to strength and things are going brilliantly now. I was going to say <laughs> I think that's very evident in the fact that you're so successful now and also in such a short amount of time and when you were describing it then you made it sound like very easy oh we just set up an agency but I imagine <laughs> it wasn't. Also I wondered how do you do that when you've not necessarily got the background of already working in a modeling agency or having all of the knowledge yeah. how do you go about it I mean it's not been easy we have had to just learn everything and just reading researching speaking to other people I mean yet yeah, neither of us had worked in agencies before my little girl was doing a bit of modeling and Zoe's modeled for many years so we both got experience at the other side of the camera and kind of understanding seeing how agencies work as a member of their talent so we'd, we'd got that understanding and I'd worked in recruitment for many years and kind of managed offices so I kind of had an understanding about that side of things like bookings but neither of us had a Rolodex of contacts so we we it was just hard work we just had to contact everybody and anyone we could possibly think of we like we had no idea how to get who even books models we were literally ringing Marks and Spencer's customer service and going uh can you put me through to whoever deals with your model bookings because we, we, we just have no number like you can't get a number for the creative team at Marks you just can't get a number like that so it was like yeah just ringing everybody we possibly can developing our website developing our marketing material trying to come up with a bit of a, a hit list and a bit of a plan but we, we're still nowhere near there we've been going like three and a half years now and we know that we're only like scraping the surface of the contacts and the possibilities that are out there but we're doing as much as we can <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because I saw a really interesting statistic that you shared and it was saying that we're still at the stage where I think it's 0.02% of models in beauty and fashion campaigns have visible mm. disabilities compared to 21% of the population. Mm. And I was wondering how you feel generally about the advertising industry, where it's at at the moment. Do you see that there is a huge way for us to go in order to be more representative of what the population looks like? Oh, well, completely. I mean, I quote those statistics. So, yeah, around about 20% of the population have a disability worldwide. In advertising, 0.06% of those featured have a disability. And then it, from our own research, breaking that down, it's 0.01 to 0.02% have a featured in beauty and advertising. So that's obviously completely not representative. You know, like the numbers, are, there's a huge disconnect between the reality of the population to what we see on our screens or, or in advertising more generally. Um, and I hope that those statistics are somewhat out of date because I know ourselves like how busy we are. Compared to where we started, we're probably 10 times more busy than what we were in our first year of business. I think that must evidence that it's becoming more commonplace to be inclusive in terms of disability. But obviously, there is a huge way to go. London Fashion Week, I think there's three or four shows in the whole history of London Fashion Week that have ever had, that featured somebody with a disability. So that's just a really terrible statistic. 
And even London Fashion Week has a kind of like a diversity watch panel, you know, checking the diversity statistics, trying to ensure it's inclusive, but they don't even look at disability. And, you know, we work tirelessly. We're trying all the time to make connections with these high profile fashion brands and even high street. And we just more often than not just get complete radio silence. It's really interesting that you say that because if you looked at it like purely from a business perspective, actually it makes good sense for brands and fashion brands to be thinking about how they are representing their brand and who they're putting in it. And the really amazing case study that you have is that one of your clients this year featured in an Instagram post for Gucci and it was their most liked post ever. Mm. And I think that just goes to show there is an appetite there for it. Yeah. So you're talking about our model, Ellie. It was a beautiful campaign for Gucci Beauty, um, originally featured in Vogue. It was a Vogue and Gucci collaboration. Yeah, and it's the most liked post ever on Gucci's Instagram. And this is the argument, like, for such a long time, people have said, oh, you know, oh, it's risky. I don't know if consumers want to see disability. Are they ready for it? Da, 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 da. It's like, well, they are. What else do we need to do to prove? A million people is not to be ignored. And there's a couple of things to kind of talk about there. There's a, so there's something called perfection fatigue. So we're just like absolutely bored. We just, you know, we're so used to seeing the same old generic models that we've been seeing for such a long time that we just don't even see them anymore. Um, and But then the second thing is kind of active rebellion. So we're just, if we do see it and, we, and it doesn't represent us and we don't feel any sort of connection or we don't feel that the brand has the values that we would like to see, then we will actively decide to ignore that advertisement or decide not to buy from that brand but then not only that I mean there's so many economic arguments that so the disabled population like we said 20% of the population that's a huge chunk of people (laughs) but it makes sense to kind of advertise to and in the UK alone the spending power is thought to be around 250 billion pounds per year and worldwide that figures 1.2 trillion dollars so huge market and that's just disabled people alone let alone the their supporters their family members people like you and I who just appreciate inclusive marketing so yeah it absolutely makes economic sense but the powers that be are just taking a little bit longer to recognize that Uh, and I wonder can it sometimes be tiring that as a company you're not just trying to get new business but it's almost like you're having to put a business case forward for something that people should already understand anyway do you you almost wish that brands would educate themselves well that would be nice (laughs) but um, I understand that it's our role to do this you know like Social change doesn't usually come from nowhere. There's got to be organisations, individuals, or wider societal. People have to do things to drive social change, whether it be political or within the media or whatever it is. So um, I I kind of see it as my job to be doing this, but obviously it would be nice if people were, were doing it themselves. I mean, everyone knows that diversity is so important and inclusion is so important, but for some reason disability has been left out of that debate for like well still now when we first started and still even now we get briefs looking for 
we would love diversity you know we want diverse talent for this but they don't mean disability people just don't even think of disability when they're saying that word and that's been called out I recommend everyone to have a little look up at an organization called the valuable 500 so that sort of behavior they call it diverse-ish behavior so like you're thinking about diversity ish <laughs> so if, if you're not considering disability when you're thinking about diversity you're not being inclusive um, and really I've stopped using the word diversity because I just think it, it doesn't really work you need to talk about inclusion because true inclusion means you're including everybody of all characteristics social backgrounds what, whatever it is you can't exclude <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And do you think that there are some barriers that maybe people, I don't know if they're not aware of, but they're not thinking about? So one example that I read was that someone said that it was hard to get someone into a modeling agency with certain types of disabilities because as a standard requirement they ask for like a certain level of education that they didn't have so are there like really simple things that we could do to eradicate barriers like that um as an agency we'll consider everybody any disability any background any age any gender any size but that's just i guess how we work but um I think like the main barrier is just a wider lack of opportunity for disabled people because the truth of it is within whatever agency you're working for I would get I would hazard a guess that there aren't many disabled people on your team and that's the situation of the world like disabled people are excluded from so many areas of life working life social life so if they're not working in the agencies then it's quite easy to go through life and for whatever reason you you don't have any personal friends who have a disability or feel confident disclosing that they have a disability so i think that's like probably the biggest thing it's just like actually a wider social issue yeah, it links to what i read out in your quote at the start about you saying that it is a systemic problem it's mm -hmm evident in so many different parts of society that there isn't enough inclusion so then maybe when people are creating campaigns they're not thinking about it but it's not an excuse that just mm -hmm. because you're not seeing someone every day means that it's okay to not think about it yeah that's so, it I can't like drive this point enough you have to think about disability if you're thinking about diversity it can't be excluded from your brief whether it's like incidental or whether you're developing roles or situations that, that are for somebody with a disability, but it has to be part and parcel of your brief and your way of working and just like always in your mind. The same as how I would think it's very rare that we don't think about how we can relate to various audiences from different ethnicities, how we can um, ensure that our campaign is representative. Disability has to be the same. Yeah, and that's why you have your agency and have been so successful in really working with big brands and getting people to be seen in campaigns. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that and if there's any brands that you've particularly liked working with or any projects that you found really enjoyable. Yeah, do you know, like, we're so busy. I hardly have any time to, like, sit down and reflect on what we've achieved 
and what you know who people are working for and every day is different we never know like what job we're going to get through that day like what's going to come through our door but I guess River Islands have been absolutely brilliant and they've been supporters of ours ever since we first launched they always have disability running throughout their advertising a big one for us is Tommy Hilfiger like they are working with us really really regularly which is just great they've got their um, like an adaptive range so a range of clothing specifically tailored for various different needs of various different disabilities um and then I mean the supermarkets have been really good like every single supermarket in the UK have been really really brilliant and and are getting better you know it it used to be that it was very tokenistic and oh well we've um I don't know we've used a child with a disability this year so that's us done but now I really feel that they're kind of getting it that 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 doesn't cut it you can't have that sort of tokenism it's got to continue it's got to run through your company and it's got to run through the visuals of your company as well so um yeah all the supermarkets have been really great with us oh we had a brilliant campaign working with Mercedes and it's called in the long run if anyone ever gets a chance to YouTube that it's an absolutely brilliant commercial that one of um our girls Marlene did yeah I I, I wanted to ask you (laughs) as well what you were saying just then about being tokenistic I think it's interesting because we often talk on this podcast about how do you make sure as a brand that you are doing the right thing and uh, either supporting the right causes or being inclusive without it feeling like you're just doing it to make your brand look good how do you make sure that you're actually doing the work and making sure and I, I think with brands in particular like you say it's important to make sure that you're not just like ticking a box and saying oh we once featured someone that looked a bit different so therefore we're okay I think it's important to be thinking generally in your strategy how can we always be inclusive well yeah I I guess the first thing which is quite easy is don't just do it once you know have a checklist every time you're developing a brief there's your check. I know that's like that literally is tick box, but how else if you're if it doesn't come naturally at the moment, how else are you gonna think about it? So just please think about it for every, you know, just don't do it once. Yeah. The other thing I was gonna say is just be, be wary of stereotypes. So like I think for a long time disabled people have been either kind of portrayed as victims, like, oh, you know, poor them. So try and ensure that the messages that you put across are empowering you know, or at least they're shown as a normal um, member of society rather than somebody kind of different. They're just a person like you and I. Oh, and the other stereotype, which is a tricky one, but I I guess the the Paralympics in London, like it really raised the profile of disabled people, which is brilliant. But then there's a tendency to kind of have portrayed disabled people as like superheroes now. And, you know, like superhuman, like, wow, look how fast they can run. And, you know, like that. that and, and I know that, like, a lot of the, our guys, well, somebody in particular said they've, like, had people come up to him in the shop, like, um, a leg amputee, and said, Oh, are you, um, are you in the Paralympics? And he's like, I've never run in my life. I just know. <laughs> but for a long time, that was the only images that we were seeing of disabled people. So, yeah. no, you're <laughs> right. I-, I wondered as well about because we're talking about you know don't just be a one-off 
the brands that you've had a really long-standing relationship with so at the start you referenced River Island Mm -hmm. and I think I saw did you do a few years ago was an anti-bullying campaign for River Island yes that was developed by them that just sat really perfectly with us I, I think this was all of their branding at the time how can we pull inclusivity to run throughout our whole brand but the thing is it's not changed now like they still will work with our guys really really regularly so and it's not just disability you know across the board they're really really brilliant yeah one of the things I wanted to ask you about was that I've seen that you've obviously got a lot of really good press for Zebedee and everything that you've done and I wonder if that's something that you're really proud of or if you're more focused on just trying to get more work and how you feel about it all it's funny yeah it's funny you should say that because I was doing an, uh, an interview with somebody in the summer and they said to me oh thank you so much for talking to me you know I know that agencies don't talk to the press and I was like oh my goodness I just didn't even know that I didn't know because we haven't come from the industry I didn't realize we were breaking this like unwritten rule that you, you don't talk to the press but we see it as that we're here to campaign for disability right you know the right to be included in this industry I feel like we have to do some sort of press to get the message out there as much as we possibly can and that's just kind of it is part of our strategy like if anybody has to talk to us we generally will speak to them because we just think any exposure in, and I'm like speaking to you I just think like I know this is for the industry professionals so I can't think of anything better to try and educate and inform and encourage people to be inclusive and that's why we do it and I I haven't really thought about whether we're proud of it or not no I I get get the impression that you are so busy that you are working on so many amazing projects and doing so many things that maybe you might not even have the time to sit back and reflect on how much you've achieved in because didn't was it 2017 that you set up the agency so in three years to get to this scale I think is incredible oh thank you (laughs) how how you found this year with the coronavirus and everything has it affected your business in any way yeah I mean I'm sure you and everybody listening will know like in the first lockdown there was just absolutely nothing going on at all like all productions completely stopped all casting stopped there was basically nothing, nothing at all for those like three months but actually it worked really well for us so Previously, when we were trying to make appointments with people, you know, nobody even ever heard of Zoom. It just wasn't a a norm. And like we're based in the north, we're in Sheffield, so trekking down to London all the time to try and meet people. So it actually worked to our benefit throughout lockdown because everyone started doing Zooms. And then we could not only that, we could reach 100 or more people in one session, like in one hour, we could reach 100 (laughs) decision makers. So actually that kind of worked really well for us when we we had no business coming in. We did all the legwork we could. And then coming out of that lockdown in the summer, we have never been busier. I think it's like a mixture of a few things. All the work we did throughout lockdown and being able to reach so many people. But I also think the virus, it's made people think a little bit more about, that. it's made everyone feel vulnerable. And it's made people think about vulnerable people. And perhaps that's made people think a little bit more about like, how can we bring kindness into the way that we work and just maybe people thinking about it a little bit more and obviously in the midst of all that as well we had the Black Lives Matter movement 
which I think also, obviously, that's not specifically related to disabled people. But again, it's about treating people with dignity, respect, equality, thinking about inclusion. And I think that has also, in a way, kind of helped the disabled community. Because, yeah, we absolutely have never, ever been busier. I, I look at, like, the jobs that we're getting in and we're from since lockdown. And also, there's probably a catch-up. All the jobs that didn't happen this summer are happening now. <laughs> but, like, three times busier than we would normally be the last couple of years. So something's happened anyway. And I honestly think it's like, I don't, I hope, and I think that it's not just a fad. I think things can only continue to improve. And, you know, as we get busier, obviously there's more visibility of disabled people, more industry people can see that visibility and more people are going to think about it. And just in time, it will be the norm. It might take me till I die. Well, hopefully I'll die when I'm old, <laughs> but like it might take me 50 years. But um, I want to see those statistics go from 0.06% of the population being represented to where it should be at 20%, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really positive to hear about what's just changed over this year, which has been such a weird year. And for so many businesses, it's affected them negatively. And obviously you also had to adjust and face those challenges like everybody else but then from what you're saying it feels like this medley of different elements has actually resulted in the end in people using your business more and I thought it was a really interesting point that you said about the fact that we've all become vulnerable this year and we are maybe more open to thinking about other people and their vulnerabilities and I think as well we've all become maybe a bit more reflective we all had a lot of time to think in lockdown Mm -hmm. because there was nothing else to do Mm -hmm. so it's it's good if some positives have come out of what has been for a lot of people a really difficult year so it's yeah it's nice to hear and I really hope, like you say, that there's longevity in this and that people are thinking about how they can change their strategy long term. How can we embed it into everything we do? I mean, yeah, I hope this too. I think there's like a fear. I think people are worried like, oh, is this going to make our job hard? And it really, really doesn't. You just really you don't have to make barely any adjustments to be inclusive of disability. Fair enough. You might need to if, if you're working with somebody with a wheelchair, you might need to book an accessible space well there's plenty of accessible spaces (laughs) that doesn't need to be a barrier and if you're working with somebody with a learning disability can you invite their carer can you ensure the brief is really really clear and can you give them as much prep as possible you don't need to do that much to be inclusive and we're here to help like honestly we'll we'll guide people through and I think people are scared of language as well like oh god what if I get it wrong what if I get called out I can honestly say like from working with all of our talent they would rather people get it wrong and then have a discussions and then get it right than be completely just excluded. Yeah I wondered as well are there any brands that I guess maybe they're the ones you've worked with but any brands that you've seen that you've particularly thought you really like what they're doing or yeah I mean like I said before it's the River Island kind of brand Primark do really really well and I mean obviously it was brilliant to have Ellie doing that work for Gucci and I would love to see more work coming in with brands like Gucci 
Kurt Geiger, they're working with us. They've got a campaign at the moment, which is all about kindness and inclusion. And they're working with loads and loads of our talent. If you go over to their social media. And yet again, those posts are the most liked and engaged posts that they've ever posted. So like I said, I don't know what what other evidence <laughs> people need <laughs> to prove that it's the right thing, both morally, ethically and economically. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hopefully people start to come to these realizations themselves as well because mm. it can't it can't be just your job <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a, a tough one um I wondered if you could give any advice to someone that was starting a career in advertising and marketing about how they could approach inclusion is is there anything that you'd like to say to them hmm well I think just it, it doesn't need to be hard. I think just make sure you're thinking about it. And it's great when you get new people starting in the industry because they come with like a fresh pair of eyes, super keen, bringing on the important things that the youth of today are thinking about or seeing as important. So if you can bring discussions around inclusion to your team members, then I think you'd be heading, you know, that's the best you can kind right. of do. I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I think that's almost everything I wanted to ask you. I just want to check, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that you feel we've not covered? No, just like like I said, just please get in touch with us. If you have any questions, we're always happy to help and um, offer some guidance. Our guys are often, you know, we'll reach out to our talent because, you know, we we're not the expert like people think I'm an expert on disability I'm not I know what I'm doing with my own agency but that's about it so I guess like reach out that like I mentioned before the valuable 500 are absolutely brilliant and there's plenty of other places to read more about this but we'll help the best we can yeah <laughs> and if there's any people that work in brands or agencies that are listening to this podcast and they want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that well, if you just head to our um, website, zebedeetalent.com, or you can find us across any social media. If you just type in Zebedee, you'll find us and just reach out and we'll be there. <laughs> well, I hope that you continue to have many more conversations with many more brands and continue on this trajectory. And I hope that you get some time to rest. Thank you so much. You've just been listening to an episode of Mad Influence, which was recorded remotely with music by Joseph McDade. If you liked it, then please rate and review it on the App Store or share it with your friends as that helps other people to find it. Thanks a lot for listening and see you soon.